Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. I love when you guys prophesy stuff that is what I'm teaching on, but you don't know what I'm teaching on. Sometimes you do that, and I'm like, can you look at my notes? God's good. Thank you. Pruning season. And what's the purpose of the pruning? It's not punishment. You don't get pruned because you did something wrong. You get pruned so that you can bear more fruit. Right? God's good. Um, Isaiah 61, chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses here, a couple of passages of Scripture. So if you got your Bible... um, you can, you can turn to it or flip to it on your phone, <clears throat> or I'll read to you as well. It's a familiar verse for most of you. I want you to understand these leaders' meetings that we do once a month. So we're the same people, but we, we talk differently in these settings than sometimes we do on Sundays or in our house churches. Do you understand that? Like you talk to your kids differently at home than you talk to your company that's visiting for dinner? Not necessarily more stern, but sometimes you can be a little bit more direct. And you can be more direct because people already know where you're coming from. There's an established and built relationship that you already understand the heart of the person speaking, that you don't have to... Do you understand what I'm saying? And if, if, if you're a leader or wanting to get involved in church, you kind of already understand where we're coming from on some of this. And so um, Sometimes these are teaching nights that we do on the second, third, and fourth Sundays of each month that we've been doing topically. These leaders' meetings, Rummy and I actually just, we, I don't have an agenda. For, okay, I've got 12 months, got 12 topics we need to teach. We're actually just praying about what, what it is that God has for us as leaders uh, each month. Like, what is it the thing that God's actually putting on us to, to talk about? And so, um, which is, by the way, we do that every Sunday. But uh, particularly for these meetings, we want to make sure that... Um, that what's flowing in us is also flowing in you. Does that make sense? It's that scripture where it says when, when Moses, God said, go get 70 of the elders and I'm going to take from the spirit that's on you and put it on them. Now, God's not saying I'm taking Moses' spirit and putting on them. So I'm not wanting Clayton's spirit to flow in you. I'm wanting the same spirit that flows in me to flow in you. It's the Holy Spirit. So the spirit that God took meant God put the Holy Spirit on the 70 elders just like he had put on Moses. But it was God's spirit. It wasn't Moses' leadership gift, right? And so my heart for our leaders is that the spirit that flows in us also flows in you. That you are hearing from God clearly and that you're doing what he said. And we're actually going to go to where God's called us to go. And the cool thing is we get to do it together. How great is that? Like we get to love God together. Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because, do you know there's a because? (laughs) The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. It's Isaiah 61, verse 1. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to put my flip-flops back on. How many of you guys are happy that it's flip-flop weather? 
because it's hard to sit in this chair barefooted. All right. Ah. Stop looking at my feet. They're terrible. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. This is not Clayton speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Okay? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And I will give you rest. Rest is such a great thing, isn't it? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So these two scriptures, there's a time when you are the poor who needs to be told good news. When you're poor, whether it's poor in spirit, whether it's brokenness, whether it's just poor in, in bank account, it's good to get some good news, right? Like if you saw the bills that I had, my gosh, can I just get some good news that that invoice that I put in six years ago, that guy's finally paying this week or, you know, the debt that I had is getting canceled in Jesus name, like whatever it is, it's good to get good news when you're in that situation. So there's a time when you're poor and you need good news. There's a time when you're brokenhearted and you need to be bound up. There's a time when you are the captive who's being freed. There's a time when you're the prisoner who gets released from darkness. Like literally, you can imagine these prisons were dungeons with no windows and no lights. You're just stuck in the bottom of something. And often they were like caves is often what these dungeons were. You haven't seen light in a while. Can you imagine seeing sunlight for the first time? It's like, oh my gosh. Sometimes you're the prisoner that's released from darkness. There is a time of healing to receive beauty for ashes and joy for mourning. That's part of that same promise. That scripture goes on to say you'll, you'll get beauty for ashes and joy for mourning, like a replacement of that. And as Jesus says in Matthew 18, there's a time of rest. Come to me and you will find rest. You need that. But then there's a time of putting the yoke back on. There's a time when I got healed. There's a time when I have allowed God to do the work in my heart. And I talked about my calf last week. I had this calf injury, and I realized that rest is good, but you actually get healed when you are able to do the work to strengthen the thing that is weak. And that's why you keep getting injured, because you have a particular area of your body that's weak. And so the strong area keeps overcompensating for the weak area. But the strong area doesn't make the weak area strong. The strong area actually hurts the weak area because it's overcompensating for it. The only way to keep from getting injured is to strengthen the area in which you are weak. Sometimes that involves rest. Sometimes it involves work. And sometimes it's a weird combination of the two. What's difficult sometimes is when you are you might find yourself in the place where you're just broken and you need to be bound up. Like you're, you are the brokenhearted that needs the binding. And our church is full of brokenhearted people in search of Jesus. In search, they may not even know they're in search of Jesus. They're in search of anything that will bind up their broken heart. And they've tried everything. And I know so many people that walk into church and go, if this doesn't work, I'm done. Because I'm out of options and I'm tired of trying. This is my last shot. 
Then there's people who have kind of begun that process. I've seen a little bit of healing. I've seen something's, something's working. I'm not sure what it is, but I feel different, right? Then there's others that are just, they're in the process, and they're like, I'm seeing victory in areas I've never seen before. And Man, this is hard rehab on your calf. Hurts sometimes, but it's a different kind of hurt now. It's not an injured hurt. It's a weakness leaving your body kind of pain. You know what I mean? I'm getting stronger, and, and the next week it doesn't hurt quite as bad, but I'm going to go do it next week because I, I know that if I do it, I'm going to get strong in this area. And there's some point, like with my calf, I had to start running last week, and I was a little nervous because I'm like, last time I did this, I hurt myself. But I'm not where I was last time I did this. Last time I had a weakness I didn't know about. And I went out full blast. Had my heart engaged. I'm going to win this race. And wham, it hit me out of nowhere. And I went, are you kidding me? This happened again. But now I've taken the time to get healed and get strengthened. And I'm ready to start running at that pace again, which is a very slow pace because I stink at running anyway. But you know, you're a little bit like, let's see how this goes. And I'll come back and tell Romy, I did a mile. I'm not limping. Going to try two miles tomorrow. And there's this mixture of excitement that, because I love running. Like, I get to do this thing again, but I'm a little nervous because last time, I don't want to get to the place where I'm finally able to do the mileage that I was doing, and then it just does it again. And it's like, well, see, I did all the stuff, and I'm just, I'm just, I just can't run anymore. I just resolved that I'll never run again. Yet, I know that that's something that brings me such joy and pleasure. I won't give in to that. And it's the third sport in this ridiculous sport that I chose a triathlon, so it's not like I'm going to go swim, ride a bike, and quit. I have to do this thing. And I'm not going to be like a couple of friends of mine, I won't point out, that walk through the marathon. It's like, what's the point in doing it if you have to walk through it? Anyway, totally off track right now. But the point is, there was some point when I had to decide, I'm, I'm going to run. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this thing. And it's this mixture of excitement with a little bit of nervousness, with a little bit of, it feels great, but please don't let it end up back where it was before. But something's different this time. I, I, I'm actually feeling something I hadn't felt before. I'm feeling a strength in a part of my leg that I didn't know was weak. But now that I feel strength in that area, it's easier. You mean to tell me that running wasn't as hard as it... It's not supposed to be as hard as it was? Like, just by strengthening this stupid little soleus muscle, I'm actually faster right now. It's changed the way that I run. It's not just keeping me from getting injured, but I'm putting times up that are not what my fitness are. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually running faster. I'm stronger. And I'm like, I'm just thinking don't get hurt. But because I've strengthened a weak area, I'm actually better than I was before. And then you start sabotaging your own thinking and going, hold on, buddy. You know what happened last time. Slow down. Don't try to do more. Just, you know, be happy with where you are. The point is that your calf doesn't hurt, right? Like that's what your head tells you. And my heart goes, no, no, no. The purpose is so you can run and run fast. The purpose is not just the healing. The purpose is to be healed so you can run. The purpose of us getting set free and our broken hearts being bound up 
and being released from darkness is so that we can put the yoke on. It's hard when somebody else put their yoke on you. It's hard when you carried a yoke that was not his yoke. It was the yoke of somebody else's vision that said, as long as you serve my vision, then you'll have your vision come to pass. And they used that to enslave you and put their yoke on you because it was actually about them, not about you. And the moment that you got sick or injured or too weak to carry the yoke, they threw you to the side and put that on somebody else and left a damaged trail of bodies behind you. And you're going, I will never put a yoke on again. But the answer is not, I'll never put a yoke again on. The answer is, I'll never put that one on again. The Bible says, don't ever let yourself put on a yoke of slavery again. That it's for freedom that Jesus has set us free. But he still has a yoke. It's still time to engage in the work that God has for us to do. So, As believers and as sons and daughters of God, why we're teaching you to hear from God for yourself is to make sure it's his yoke you're putting on you and not somebody else's. I don't have a yoke for you. In fact, my prayer time is probably a whole lot dedicated to God, give me your yoke and take all of mine. Because if I put a yoke on me, I'll put it on you. Help me carry my yoke. It's too much for me. And instead, I'll have prophets coming to me saying, I'm not taking that yoke. Why are you carrying it? Why don't we carry the yoke that God has for us? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But there is still a yoke. And I know that there's a lot of people in our church who are in that place of, I have seen healing, but I'm still nervous about putting on a yoke again. Because of what happened in the past, I don't want to end up like where I was. And so I'm not... I can't carry that. I can't do that. I'm wounded or I'm barely healed. Well, I'm not putting a yoke on you, but you got to learn to take his and say, I trust that yours is light. I trust that the rehab program that the Bible has set for me, saved, healed, and delivered is working. And I'm getting strong in areas that I was weak. And I'm going to be able to run again. I'm going to be able to do what God's called me to do. Excuse me. So what does it mean to put on the yoke? I'm going to talk about three yokes that I think Jesus has for us, right? And it's his yoke. The first one, there's no surprise to you guys. It's revival. What is revival? Revival is not putting up a tent in your church parking lot, inviting a bunch of people and a dynamic speaker and everybody falling on the ground. That might be a, a method to bring it about, but revival is actually what's happening in your own heart. Revival is the process of allowing God to dig out of you the things that he didn't put there, that the enemy sowed, and becoming a, a, wow, that was dynamic. There we go. He preached the lights out is what he did. It's it's really simple. So somebody asked Jesus, what what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to live in revival? It means I'm learning to love God and I'm learning to love others. What does it mean to learn to love God? This is, 
I'm a dude, so it helps me to think of things in ways that aren't the typical guy thing. I love you, man. I love you, man. It's not that. I'm, I want to grow in my affection. That's a harder word for guys, isn't it? I want to grow in my affection for Jesus every day. Like my affection. Can I crawl up in his lap like I did my dad when I was a little kid and just fall asleep in his lap? Doesn't sound so masculine, does it? But that's what I want. I want an intimacy with my heavenly father where there's no barriers whatsoever. That's what I desire. Am I growing in my affection for him? And then am I loving others as myself? The reality is it's putting on the yoke of having a life that's focused on him and focused on others. I've seen some very spiritual people People that know their Bible, they're really great at ministry, and they know the things, they say the things, but I still sometimes see the focus coming back to them. And everything is I, 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 me, me, me. I don't hear a whole lot of Jesus, and I don't see a lot of focus on others. And so I'll come to church when I'm comfortable coming to church. If I'm having a bad hair day, I'm probably not going to come. That's a different yoke. That is a yoke that somebody else put on you. I never have a good hair day, so what do I have to worry about, right? I'm happy to have a hair day. And Jake said, amen. Dave said, amen, right? I'm happy to have any kind of hair day. But it's those things where I have to prepare all the things to, to get to church instead of you know what? I know that God's going to be there. And I might, I might see somebody that I can love that needs my love this morning. So why would I let an argument with my wife? This happens a lot, right? We had an argument, so we're not... No, not what I thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> I see this in couples a lot, right? We never argue ever about anything, right? Uh, especially not since you deleted Facebook. But we... Um, Is that recording? I'm just kidding. I did it, didn't I? I shouldn't do that. I'm sorry. If we argue, it's always my fault, 100%. 100%. It's always my fault. There we go. Okay. We're recording this. Um, but often I see arguments with couples keep them out. Like, I don't want to go to church and face people if we're not good. And I understand that. But you know what? If, if your life is focused on God and focused on others, you learn to go... Hey, we're not resolving this right now. I love you. Can we talk about it this afternoon? Let's go worship together. Yeah. Do you understand that? I don't have to resolve the disagreement to go worship God. I do have to be at the intimacy back, and I have to learn to go, I love you. I'm sorry for whatever I've done to this. We don't agree, but we don't have to be in agreement yet. We'll commit to getting agreement later, but I'm not going to let the enemy get in the way of me going and worshiping God and loving somebody else. It doesn't mean that I just have an argument and everybody else is more important than my spouse. That's not what I mean. What I mean is you're always going to have reasons why you don't come to church. You're always going to have reasons why you don't pray. You're always going to have reasons why you don't worship. There's always reasons to do that. But if your life is consumed with a focus on God and a focus on others, which are the two greatest commandments, then somehow you figure out how to make a way. And I've realized that most of our problems get resolved when we pray together. 
And so we might have an argument, and we just stop and go, can we just pray? And all of a sudden, it's like, where did it go? All the tension just left the room. Because I can't pray if I've got tension here. So the easy thing to do is, well, I just won't pray. But prayer is the very thing that breaks the tension. Because I can't go to God and go, would you fix her? Because I know what God says. Excuse me? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a commitment. Revival means that I've allowed God to do the work in my heart where I can focus on him and focus on others without the fear of being taken advantage of. But if I, if I have my life all about others, they're just going to task me with stuff and take advantage of me. It doesn't mean you let people take advantage of you, but there's no fear of engaging and serving people and loving people because you just love them anyway. Even when they try to take advantage of you, you love them so much, it doesn't stick to you. And you don't live a life of resentment of, oh, man, that person's going to ask me to do kids, and I hate doing kids. And you just love people. You're focused on, on others, right? It's making sure that I keep my heart pure. Revival means that I'm doing the work. I'm allowing God to do the work in me so that I have streams of water flowing from me so that when I meet others, I actually have something to give, right? That's the commitment to revival. That's one of the yokes God wants to put on you. His yoke means I want you to continue to allow me to do the work in you so that you can love others like I love them so you can love me with the love I gave you without fear of it being manipulated or taken advantage of or rejected. You see, when God does this work in your heart and you experience his love, then you can love without abandon. You can love without thinking, but last time I did this, it wasn't returned and I got rejected. But you love them anyway. You even love the people that reject you and take advantage of you because there's so much flowing out of your heart. You're like, okay, you took the water that came out of me and you ran away and never came back, but that's cool. I got more coming right after it. You dipped your cup in my river and went on, but the river kept flowing. This isn't a lake. This isn't, this isn't like a pot where if you take some, I have less. It keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. So what you do with the living water that comes out of me is your choice, but you're not going to stop the flow because that's the yoke that I wear. The yoke of revival that I wear means I'm doing the work that keeps the water flowing. So I got more to give and more to give. So you actually can't take advantage of me when it comes to loving people, I mean, because I'm going to keep loving, but that requires work, doesn't it? Second thing is giving. Giving, financial giving, is actually one of the yokes that Jesus wants to put on us. Now, this is a touchy one, isn't it? I, ta I taught last week about the rich young ruler, and Jesus said this one thing you lack, sell all of your stuff and give it to the poor. And he walked away sad because he had great wealth. And remember I said that wasn't about giving. It was the issue that that was the one thing that he had. That was the thing in his heart that had his heart, that kept him from loving God and loving people. It's the grip that it had on him. But can I tell you, Jesus said, it's so hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven because that particular thing gets such a strong grip on people. And it doesn't just get a grip on people that have money. I've seen people that are very rich who have no issue with, with giving and, and not being consumed with the getting and keeping of finances. And I've seen people that are poor that that's all they think about is their own lack. And, and, and it, it grips them 
So it's not about the abundance or the lack of finances. It's when your focus becomes on that thing instead of God. And you've started to cast the affection on finances that was intended to be cast on to God. You know, for the first few years of Seashore, the Lord told us not to talk about giving. Don't talk about it. And I know it's for two reasons. The first one is that many of you came from places that either had bad theology or had bad application of biblical principles. That was a deep wound for many people when it came to giving. Sometimes I think some places had good theology but bad application, right? The principle is correct, but you're using that principle for a purpose other than a kingdom principle. Or some people just had bad theology on it. Or sometimes it just became so much of a focus because sometimes those churches, sometimes it's just a very practical thing. The churches themselves got themselves so far in debt that they had to focus on it because they had to pay pay bills. And so they stopped trusting God and started trusting you. That you are Jira, not him. You need to provide the finances for this instead of realizing, no, God provides that stuff. And so sometimes there's some very, regardless of where it came from, the fruit of it meant that many people had some deep wounds from the wrong focus that money had. That's number one. Number two is this is for us personally, is the Lord said, I want you to teach people to hear my voice and to obey me. That's it. That's it. I'm like, okay, cool. Then what? Then when, when, when do we get a building? When do we start having leaders meetings? When do we build teams? When do we do a launch? When do we get a great website? When do we do all this stuff? And he's like, yeah, no, no, no. Just, just teach them to hear my voice and do what I say. I was like, great. I just lost all my salary and benefits yesterday, and I got I to pay my mortgage, and I got I to feed my kids. And I can live in faith, but okay, I'm going to go get a job. So I went out, and I'm driving for Uber. Worst way to make money. Greatest ministry experience ever. Jake, I'm telling you, drive for Uber. Because people tell you their stuff when you're an Uber driver, because you got a side gig just like they probably have. You're not just a taxi driver, so they tell you their life. I saw the best snapshot of where our city I should do a whole series on uber driving of what you want to catch the heartbeat of a city I tell church planners now if you're going to a city that you don't know anything about because God called you there just drive for uber for six months trust me or lyft or whatever it is because you will find out the heartbeat of your city so fast anyway it did not pay the bills is what I'm trying to say and I'm sitting there and I'm like we're just going to teach people how to hear God and he goes watch what I do it's like, all right, Rummy, can you get a job? Because uh, I'll do the Uber. And so this was a, probably about two months, and somehow we scraped up enough money to pay our mortgage, and we had food on the table. And then a couple people came to us and said, hey, we want to, um, actually, Kenny, it was you. Kenny came to me and said, I hope I didn't call you out just then, sorry. But he said, we, and, and like two other families, I think, really want you guys to be able to take the year, because we took a year of not planning church, because of an agreement we had, we weren't going to do anything for a church, we we're just going to pray and fast, and <laughs> I really mean fast, <laughs> by necessity, not by design, and, and, and see what God had for us for the year. But we had to get jobs to make that happen. And then God spoke to Romy and was like, God just said, we're not supposed to work at all. We're just supposed to focus on the church. And I'm like, okay, that's great. 
I got to pay our bills. How's this going to work? Okay, God. So I quit driving for Uber. Y'all thought I was still driving for Uber. And how you thought I was paying my mortgage and paying, uh, putting food on the table through Uber, I don't know. It's quite funny. But they, am, am I saying too much? Oh. So Kenny said, hey, a couple, we've been teaching these guys how to hear from God. And they said, we've been praying about this. And we think you guys should be able to take the year and not worry about getting jobs, but just focus on praying for the church, like you said. So we want to start supporting you guys. And here I am. No, 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 no. We're not taking, we're not talking about giving. We're not, (laughs) we're not, we're not doing this. Right. And he goes, I know you haven't, but this is what God has put on our hearts to do to the point where I'm like, and he, they're, they're like, are you, are you telling us not to do this? And other people were coming up and saying the same thing to us and saying, are you telling me to disobey God by not giving? I'm like, no, I just can't take your tithe made out to my name. I'm, that freaks me out, right? But people started giving. They started giving regularly. I would have, we'd have a house, like not even house churches yet. We were just meeting to worship together. And people would hand me checks. And I'm like, what's going on? There are so many, again, another series, another time. There are so many miracle-specific financial provision stories we had in that season and even before that season But at the end of six months, we had more in our bank account than we had the previous six months. And I just went, God, what's going on here? I said, I told you, if you teach them to hear from me, watch what I do. And God was speaking to people in our church to give when I wasn't asking. In fact, I was being a pain in the butt. I was refusing, right? And yet, that's why we didn't talk about it. It's because God, I think, wanted to teach me. If you teach people to hear my voice... You will have everything that you need. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean I'm against offering talks. It doesn't mean I'm against giving or any of that stuff or talking about money. That was a specific thing to us is not to talk about it for that reason. And I learned that lesson very well. In fact, it forced us to incorporate the church earlier than we wanted to because I said, I'm, we have to make sure that this is all structured properly where there's accountability and we got our 501c3 and stuff much earlier because money was coming in, right? And it's like, not a lot, but it was enough to, you know what I mean? It's not like we had million dollar checks coming in, but it was more than enough for what we needed in that season. And so we structured things to go so people can actually give to the church. It's corporately structured. We have a a board of directors that oversees the finances. Like we did all that stuff when we were like 15 people, you know what I mean? It's like way earlier than you normally do, but now we, we, we exist with that structure now because we put it in early like it forced my hand to do things corporately that normally I wouldn't have done for three years because you don't need to, right? So that's why we haven't. We're past that point where I feel like the Lord's actually released me to start talking about this stuff because you are hearing from God for yourself. And you all have gotten healed from that stuff. But I do feel like in the area of giving, you haven't put the yoke on yet. Now, I don't look at anybody's individual giving. I don't track people. You know what I mean? The only thing I do, I actually, our, our giving system platform sends out your, it automates and sends out your tax stuff at the end of the year. It's not like I'm going, how much did David give this month? You know, I hate that stuff. I actually don't do that. So I'm not talking about anybody here. I actually don't know what you give. That's what I'm saying individually. So I don't want somebody to think, oh, he's been looking at what I've been doing. I don't know. You might be the most generous people in the world. You may not give at all. I don't know. But I do know spiritually 
that there's many in our church who have experienced the hurt and abuse of the past and the wrong focus on it, and you've actually been healed, but like my calf, you haven't done that first run yet. You haven't actually stepped out and gone, I'm going to give it a try. Some people I know have given it a try, and they're like, this feels a little stronger than it did last time. I don't feel manipulated into this. I'm not trying to join an inner circle here. I'm not whatever. And I just want to encourage you to allow God to do that work in your heart. That is a yoke that it's time for us to, to put on. It's a yoke of honoring God in our tithes and our offerings. It, it's, it's not... Um, I don't know how to say this. Honey, you might correct me if I'm wrong here. Look, I've got pastor friends that are like, the Bible teaches us to tithe. 10% of what we earn belongs to God. Look, just start at two, start at three, work your way up. And I get the understanding there. But the New Testament, I believe, has a different approach when it comes to our giving. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Should we tithe? Is that New Testament or Old Testament? Well, Paul says, Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I read that, and depending on the condition of my heart determines how I interpret that. Each man should give, or each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Oh, good, I don't have to give a whole 10% anymore. Where is my heart? It just shrunk. Like, I grew up in a household where I tithed on my allowance at 10 years old or whenever I got my allowance. My parents have never paid an interest of credit card debt in their entire life. They have tithed all of their lives, still do today. I have lived under that blessing of financial stewardship and the most generous people I know and have taught me as a child. So I realized a lot of what I did, I inherited through that teaching and became a habit for me. But there's a moment, and not everybody has that habit, but there's a moment when, when something clicks and you go, God has done such a work in my heart that my heart is cheerful, that giving is actually an outworking of what God has healed in my heart. And I'm learning to trust him and honor him in my finances now, remember when I said I was driving for Uber? I was still tithing, and I was still giving. I understand the pressure of, I don't know if I have enough money to pay my bills, but when I'm blessed, then I'll give. It doesn't work that way. When you're healed, and when you're filled, and when you've decided to put the yoke on, that's when you give. Without the yoke, there's always a reluctance or a compulsion. I'm not going to ask. And I know, look, I've been a part of all kinds of finance raising campaigns. That's not what this is tonight. I know how to ask. Right? Many of you are in sales. You know how to ask. I'm not going to ask. And I know some people, if I ask, they would. But that's compulsion. And I don't want to compel. I want to encourage you to put on the yoke. And whatever you decide in your heart to give, give that. For me personally, 
My giving is a reflection of where my heart is. So when I've had seasons of, and I've had those seasons of, God, I don't, I don't know if I got, I got all this stuff coming up. Sometimes, sometimes you just forget and you're like, oh man, I, I actually just, in paying my bills, that's something I forgot. And now I paid all this and I bought this and now I've got to pay this off. So I'm going to skip it this month and go to the next month. That happens. But when it does, I just go, oh, my heart was actually the things and not. So I talked about the app this morning. Like I've got that app on my phone, the church center app, because it's easy for me. And like I got paid on Friday, right? And because um, anyway, it, it, it came in and I get so excited. I look at it and go, oh, I get to open my app. There's two things I do right away. And the first one is, is give our tithe, and then the second one is pay our mortgage, because both of those is kind of a similar experience. I go to the church center app, I put in the amount, I give it, and I just, I, I literally, I'm rejoicing. I'm going, thank you. I get, I'm so excited when I see the dollar amount in my checking account that just got in there, which you know is $150,000 a month. Thanks for you, tithe. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's not, not that. Uh, I, uh. I see the amount that came in, and I'm not excited because that amount is in my checkbook. Like, oh, look how much money I got. You know, it's, I get to give. And, and I open the app, and I, and I give it, and I'm just like, that was so much fun. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then I pay my mortgage, and I'm like, because I'll do it on my phone, not my hand. I know it's kind of weird. My mom freaks out that I pay all my bills on my phone. Anybody got a generation of parents that are like, what? They're still writing checks and mailing it. Anyway. I pay my mortgage, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I have, I have lived in this house 19 years, only house I've ever owned, and I've never missed a mortgage payment. You've provided every time. Thank you. Can I tell you? I know that that, for me, is a decision in my heart to not let finances rule my heart, to not let it grip hold of me. And I am very intentional about our giving. I make sure. It's not like, I better get this or God's going to be mad. I'm not arguing with God over 10% in this economy, whether it's good or not. I don't think 10%. I do 10% just to make sure that I'm there. And then, you know, it's Turkey and all this stuff over the top of it. But I'm not looking at it. Oh, I better put this in or 90% is going to be cursed. I'm honestly just thinking, how cool is this? Thank you, God. Thank you. I'm not tithing to Clayton Ritter Ministries International. There is no Clayton Ritter Ministries International, if you're wondering what that is. I'm like, thank you, God. I get to build the kingdom. You've provided for me. Here's one more month. You've provided for me again. I've been living in faith for 20 years. Never missed a mortgage payment. We've never not had food. We've had moments when we, our food was gone because we had our, our life was focused on God and on others. So we'd have a whole house full of middle school girls that just got saved and Romy's got them sitting around our table teaching them 13-year-olds to stop having sex and why you should do that. And they think she's crazy. And they're like, but what is on you? This is weird. Why are you not? What do you mean? Tell us more about this. And they eat out your whole house. I didn't know 13-year-old girls could eat so much, but they eat all their food, all our food. And we look at it and go, we literally don't have food for our kids' lunches tomorrow. How do you tell your kid, hey, um, are you okay if you don't eat lunch tomorrow? This is not so long ago right? And I'm going, God, finances does not have a grip on my heart. I'm not taking my credit card out. I'm going to trust God and go buy tons of stuff on my credit. No, 
God, we're going to trust you. And flipping John Telfer would show up on my doorstep with trays of food. We just had an event and they overordered and they would give me more food than I could possibly handle. And I'm like, you did it again. You did it again. One of the reasons I know that it happens is because we are cheerful givers and we're not giving out of reluctance and compulsion. God doesn't owe me because I gave to him, but I know that it's never had a grip on my heart that we were just as cheerful in that season when our cow cupboards were empty as we were when the food showed up on my porch. Each of you should decide what you've given, sorry, should give what you've decided in your heart to give. When God has done the work in your heart, giving flows freely. The last one is, yeah. 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 No, that's beautiful. It's joined. It is. There's a whole other teaching on. I'll do on yokes one day. That's based on that. That's great. Yeah. I've actually. It, it's pulling with him. Yeah. Absolutely. The last yoke, so the first yoke is, is, is learning, is taking on the yoke of revival, a lifestyle of revival, allowing God to do the work in your heart and a life that then focuses on God and others because I have an overflow and I can't run out. I, I refuse to run out because it's, I'm not the source God is, you know, and I hear burnout a lot. What about, you know, you hear about pastoral burnout, ministry burnout. I found that burnout is actually more emotional burnout than it is spiritual or even physical it's just that you got burned so many times in relationships that you've had emotional burnout, and that's actually what the burnout is. But if you've got rivers of living water, people can burn you emotionally, but spiritually it just keeps refreshing you and others so that it's the offense of others that don't burn you out because I love you too much for you to actually offend me. Anyway, the last one is just serving. Serving. It's putting your hand to the plow. It's deciding... I can do more. I can, I'm not going to be a consumer Christian. I actually want to give out of that overflow. They're not here tonight because they work pretty darn hard every Sunday. But Steve and Natalie, they just went one day. We were, we were struggling with kids. We were like, we actually need an answer here and some help. I just said, and they, they're like, hey, can we meet with you guys? And there was a season in my life when someone's like, can we need, we need to talk to you? And I'm like, oh, God, they're leaving the church. They're, they're, what's going on? What's the offense? What did I say? You know? And they just said, can we take over kids? And I was like, yes. Uh, what was the other question? <laughs> you know? And she came with all these strategies of how they're doing it and had solutions to things that were so simple that I should have known that I didn't think about. And I just, And they're brilliant. But they just went, there's a gap here. There's a problem, and I want to fix it. I want to step up, and I want to fix it. And uh, that's the spirit that just goes, I realize that I'm not so concerned about being burned out again 
Because this is another area like giving. People have been overworked and overused and mismanaged. And, you know, you, sometimes the ones that serve the hardest and finally get to the breaking point are like, I can't do this anymore. And then it's said that they backslid when they stopped serving. It's like, no, you, you destroyed that person, threw them away, and went to get somebody else. But now you've made them to sound like they've done the wrong thing and they've gotten weak. But it was your system that did that because you're not building kingdom. You're building your kingdom. And they're burning out because there's no power in the house. Psalm 110, verse 3. I told you I talk differently to you than I do on a Sunday. Psalm 110, verse 3. I'm going to read to you in the Amplified. Your people will offer themselves willingly to participate in your battle in the day of your power. Psalm 110, verse 3. Your people will offer themselves willingly to participate in your battle in the day of your power. That means when God's power is evidenced, people are like, I'm in, how do I get in? I've got to say, I haven't been real great at creating launching pads for people to step right in. Partly because I'm the kind of guy that I, like, I'll go to a conference and I'm like, how do I help? And I'm like, wait a minute, I paid for this conference. I'm attending. What am I doing? You know what I mean? Because I just, that's the way Romy and I are wired. We're always like, Dave's that way. Dave's like Swanson. He's just like, how do I get involved? How do I help? What do I do? You know? And I'm like, uh, like I can get better at that strategically, you know, and figuring all that stuff out. But I'll tell you what, when you've got a people that are just like, I see God's power evident and I'm not just here to soak. There's seasons of soaking, but how do I help? How do I get involved? How do I, if my life is focused on others, what do I have to bring to the table here that will help so other people can experience the power of God that's in this place. I don't want one person to be here and not experience it. I don't want people on the outer. So they come to church and they're not, they're not looking for their seat. They're not looking for their friends to talk to. It's not, it's not become this clicky thing. It's I'm here to pour into whoever is there. How do I help? How do I get involved? Don't put me in kids. Don't ask me to move a chair. Don't, you know that? You know where that comes from? Sometimes it's selfishness, but usually it's just I served in that area before and I got burnt out. Well, the crazy thing that God does is he takes you, he finds you right in the place of devastation, he frees you, he fills you, and sends you right back to the very place. But not so that you can get inflicted in need of deliverance again. He sends you back to the same place to change that place. Because now instead of the place devastating me, I'm bringing living water. And that dry place gets lubricated. It gets water flowing. And that dry place can't stay dry if I'm there because I'm not the same person. It's when I get back and I start running again and I go, not only am I not hurt, I'm stronger now. And I think I can run faster. I wish I knew this 10 years ago. If I just knew the process of getting healed and then getting strong... I can go back to the same race that I got injured in last time and not just make it, but run faster. I can win because I learned to do something in a different environment in a different way. And I've allowed God to teach me and strengthen me. And I decided to put the yoke on. For us, I just feel like it's, it's time to start putting on that yoke. I know in the area of giving, I, I've heard these testimonies from some of you guys. I just forgot. I just, you know what? The, the website crashed, which is so funny, our website crashed this week. And it's like, and I didn't know how to do it. And I forgot. And I just realized I hadn't given in six months to a year. 
And then you got the tax thing and you freaked out and you went, oh, is that all? Or maybe you got it and went, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I, I did that. We, honey, we need to give less. We're giving too much to Seashore is what's happening. This isn't a Seashore offering talk because I'll be honest with you, as long as it's the kingdom, I don't care where you give. I really don't. Would that be fair? Yeah. You're giving to the kingdom. You're giving to God. This isn't money raising money for Seashore. Look, we want a building. We want Virginia Beach. We want all that stuff. But just decide in your heart, I want to serve. I want to give. I want to have a life that's focused on others and focused on God. And watch what he does. When you put the yoke back on, I promise you, make sure it's his yoke. Okay? I know I've asked people, hey, would you do this particular ministry? And they go, I don't know. Let me go pray about it. There's some people that say that. It's their way of saying no, but I'm going to spiritualize it. And some people, they're literally going, as much as I love you and want to say yes to you, I want to make sure it's his yoke and not another one. And I'm like, that's awesome. I love it. So let him speak to you and see what he does. Amen? Can we pray? Ah, Father, we thank you. We love you. I thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And I thank you that we get all the benefits and privileges of citizenship in your kingdom as sons and daughters. But even in that story of the prodigal son, with the older brother and the younger brother, there was still the work of the household to do. They got all the inheritance, but there was still work to do. And I pray that we just don't see it as work. But when we get to give and serve and live a life focused on others and focused on you, that we can look at it and go, how cool is this? This is so much fun. And so we're not doing things, those things out of a sense of feeling like we're letting somebody else down or trying to get into an inner circle or get the approval of man. But we're doing those things just because we are madly and deeply in love with you. And we pour out our affections on you and our life of revival and our giving and our serving. We're not doing these so that we belong. We do these things because we belong. And you've already adopted us into your family. So God, we make the decision tonight, if that's the desire of your heart, to put on that yoke. And we trust you that it's easy and that it's light. That I'm not the same. And when I put this yoke on, what happened before isn't going to happen again. Because I'm not the same. And that yoke is not the same. And as Romy preached this morning, I, I pray that you open up our eyes to the hills and what's behind those enemies. It's the host of heaven. That I, I know the fear of, of, of stepping into places long devastated and the flashbacks of what happened before and the, the triggers that happen as soon as we even, oh, here it comes. Wondering how long it was going to last until this happened. And I pray that we would see those things as lies of the enemy and we deal with them appropriately that we can hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Any thoughts or questions or feel free. It's a leader's meeting, right? So you're free to chime in. Any thoughts or testimonies you want to share? It's an open floor. People tell me I'm crazy because I keep having open mic nights.
for either the prophetic or comments, but I love it. Anybody have anything to share? Yeah. Father Ted. No, my thoughts are, I just love how our pastors love the church, like Romy and Clayton. Like, If there's one thing that I've seen in them is uh, a servant's heart. Like you said, when we have worship rehearsal at our heart house, the last person there putting away chairs and doing stuff is Romy. She, she's like, uh, just, that's your heart. That's your heart. It's not something you're doing to be seen. Or let me set a good example. That's just who you guys are. And the love that you have for people is so genuine. It's, you, you've seen love that's not, you, you've seen people present themselves as if they love you or they love people. They're not trying to sell anything like this is who they are. And it's so authentic that I'm shaking right now because I can barely speak. Um, but yeah. Thanks, Ted. That flows in you. That flows in you. You get the last sentence wrong. When I wrote that out for you to say all that, you didn't quite get the. <laughs> Stop. I did it again, didn't I? Deflecting. Thank you, Ted. That's the spirit that flows in you, man. Yeah. Anybody else have something nice to say about me? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Bella, I, I compliment Bella so much that she's like, I'm going to make my Instagram, uh, what do you call it, when you have your name and then who you are kind of thing. It, your bio, that's it. She goes, I am very capable of receiving compliments. <laughs> I was like, that should be your bio. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.